Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest team building podcast. Hey, what's up, you guys? Jeff Cohn here with a very special guest. I am the host of the Team Building Podcast, where we interview top team leaders, broker owners, and thought leaders from across the country today in our guest from Austin, Texas. We're getting all three of those things. Uh, Chris Waters and I go way back to a Mexican food lunch in Austin. It's got to be over 10 years ago. Chris, I know we've had you on the show. Welcome back. How are you? I'm doing great, man. You know, my book, right? We got to like, I don't know, put the Team Building Podcast sticker on here somewhere for the Million Dollar Real Estate Team, right? What is your book, Chris? Million Dollar Real Estate Team, Chris Waters. Yeah, yeah, it's available on Amazon. Um, I mean, I'll tell you what, anybody that listens to this show, I'll give them a copy for free. Uh, They just need to pay for the shipping handling. Um, I made that mistake just giving the book away for free. And then uh, I sent the book to like China and South (laughs) Africa. I'm like getting charged with like $30, $40 in shipping. I'm like, WTF. So, okay, so how crazy. do we get a free book? You guys want a free book from Chris and you're going to want it after you hear this podcast episode. How yeah, does someone so, go about getting their book? Yeah, so I mean, you can get it on Amazon. If you want it on Audible, you can get it on there. I mean, it's only 20 bucks. Um, and again, every dollar goes into um, a, a nonprofit. So I don't keep any money from this book. It's, oh, cool. it's not like, you know, a money-making thing for me. Um, the um, I have this really long domain name for the free for people to get the free copy. Let me just double check it. All right, he'll pull it up. While he's pulling it up, I'll share some context. So I was at an indie brokerage. Um, I think I maybe had just started going into Berkshire. I don't remember. But uh, when I first met Chris, I was introduced by Tim Heil. And I believe, Chris, you were not at Keller Williams. Tim was at Keller Williams. And then I was at an indie in Omaha, but we were all running teams. And so it was really interesting just to compare notes. And of course, a lot of my success came from lunches like that one, the difference between you and me are the books you read, the podcasts you listen to, and then the people that you associate with. And Chris and I have stayed close friends ever since. So we're going to ideate on some really fun things. But let's finish the selling proposition, which makes nothing. Yes, I make absolutely zero dollars on selling this book. Um, It's purely an altruistic thing. Um, The domain is milliondollarrealestateteam.com. It's a a mouthful. Come on, million dollar real estate team. Like I should own that one. Yeah. So million dollar real estate team.com. And um, that's the landing page to get the book for free. You just got to pay shipping handling. Um, And you can get on Amazon. I think it's like 20 bucks or audible again, whatever that costs. Um, But if you go on there, you can get the book free. And um, uh, you know, um, it's, you know, essentially the book is like documenting my journey. The first three years being in real estate, building a team, the third year after all expenses, I, I netted a million bucks and, um, you know, um, have now expanded into 19 markets, actually opening up two more this month. So 21 markets at the end of this month across the U S and Canada, um, basically just, you know, partnering with people, helping them, uh, you know, replicate what we did out of Austin and, um, the coaching stuff I do, I don't, you know, it's all altruistic, any dollar I, I, I collect, I give out like book sales, whatever. Um, and um yeah so uh, and those expansion locations chris um those aren't teams inside of those are essentially franchises 
they can pick any name they want, but they're part, they're powered by your franchise. Yeah, exactly. So basically we give them like all the infrastructure and like backbone to build their business. They brand it to their name. Like for example, in Denver, it's the Ed Prather real estate team and um, in uh, Bakersfield, California, the Ryan Dobbs team. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's branded them. And, um, you know, we give them all the assets they need to scale it up really quickly, along with like ongoing coaching and implementation help. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, you know, we do uh, these workshops in Austin with our partners to help them, you know, work on the business versus being in it. And we help pull in our resources in Austin, help them with the actual like, you know, putting the building blocks together. Sure. So, Talk yeah. about some of the other businesses quickly, and then we'll get into some topic. Um, you own RealSync. Yeah, so I'm um, I'm not super involved in real sync. You know, I I was involved um, quite a bit in the beginning, helping connect mm -hmm. uh, the the other founder, a guy named Mike McAnally. Um, But you know, make a long story short, when I was building and scaling my real estate team, we had all these various software applications. None of them talked yep. to each other. It was incredibly frustrating. Nothing existed. Like we were using Zapier, but it was limited. You know, yep. in terms of what it would connect, and um, you know, we needed more robust integrations. So about, I guess, four or five years ago, I met this guy that had spent his entire career, like two decades in the integration space, working with Fortune 500 companies. And I was telling him about all these challenges that I had. And he's like, man, I can't believe an integration solution doesn't exist for the real estate space. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. And um, I asked him, I said, you know, hey, if we could raise the money, if I could help you raise money, would you be open to, you know, building a cloud-based integration platform like the Fortune 500 world uses? And he said, yes. So he literally quit his job. I helped him raise wow. the um, angel round of a million bucks and then a subsequent um, convertible note of another million. And now um, RealSync has, I think somewhere north of like 700 teams and brokerages on the platform about, yeah. so I don't know. We're on the platform. Yeah, 10 to 15,000 users, something like that. Yeah, and, you guys uh, did awesome. Yeah, and I'm- I know I'm, that's, what, that's who Sisu recommends, by the way, for a lot of our listeners who are on the Sisu platform. Um, everything was built by Chris. So thank you, Chris, for doing that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of um, people don't even know like RealSync is powering the integrations of these CRMs behind the scenes. Like mm -hmm. a lot of the CRMs just pay RealSync, right? To like facilitate the integration. Sure. Um, I mean, a lot of companies you wouldn't even know of that are like underwriting the expense for the benefit of the client. But anyways. Um, real yeah. quick, real quick, just so, um, to give an explanation or so a little bit different vantage point for people that don't know even what we're talking about. You have a hundred CRMs that exist, right? Like Zerple. And I mean, there's a million. So yeah. Boomtown Sync, those are big ones. Yep. All of them have open API. So if there's a company like RealSync, RealSync builds the bridge with a different business. So like Sisu, which provides all sorts of stuff, analytics and gamification and reporting, they can't have that data unless someone inputs the data or there's a bridge that's built with the CRM that they're running. And it becomes very convoluted when you have 100 different CRMs that now all have to go into a different bridge to get to wherever the other companies that you're working with. And Chris's company, RealSync, built those bridges. Yeah, I mean, that's the best way to think of it. It's like basically RealSync is a bridge between these independent software applications. And either you have to hire a VA or you have to manually do the data entry, right? Um as a business, or the alternative is you have a piece of software that is pushing data from app A to app B, and then from app B back to app A. And it updates real time as things change, right? Like right. you think about the data fields of a contact record, you know, you want that pushed into from one lead gen system to your CRM, or you right. want CRM data pushed into transaction management or CRM data pushed into like, you know, CSU, a BI reporting yep. dashboard. 
Um, so that, that's its purpose. And that's, um, that's kind of the, you know, what, it, what, it, sure. what it, the problem it solves. And I know there's people out there who believe and have a dream that their CRM will be able to do it all. And there won't need to be a bridge. Oh, there won't yeah. need to be integration, but it's impossible. So when you have businesses that have hundreds of millions of dollars to just do one thing really, really well, I don't see any one CRM being able to do it all. I think the way that everyone wins is by building these bridges. And like you said, once it's doing so well, then they just integrate direct and you no longer have to have the bridge. So. Yeah, I mean, it, and and but the challenge is, is like with a lot of the direct integrations is when you build a direct integration, if that person on the other end makes an update to their platform, the bridge breaks, right? And so that company's not in the business of maintaining the bridge. And so then you're spending thousands of dollars on leads and they're not getting pushed in your CRM and you're like WTF. So yep. like even, I mean, I can't even disclose because of NDAs and stuff, but RealThink is representing some of the biggest names you can think of. Um, I mean, these are billion dollar companies that could easily recreate this stuff, right? So um, that's just not what they do. Yeah, that's right. not what they want to do. Yeah, like it's, you know, right. your, um, your movie theater doesn't have their own line of soda. They right. buy it from Coca-Cola. That's right. They decided not to go with movie theater soda <laughs> and they use Coca-Cola for their soda solution. That's great. All right, Chris, we have named expansion. Um, you have a franchise in 21 cities with a real estate arm. You've got RealSync. You've got your private um, charity uh, organization, including your book. What yep. else? Yeah. I know so, you have an investment property. Yeah. So in investment properties, I mean, you know, rentals, um, as you, as I told you before the show started, got into investing in ranch properties. Um, Chris is a rancher now. So yeah, that's why I got a little bit of a sunburn for anybody that's watching this. I was out he just bought his shit kickers. He's in Austin though. I mean, you're a cowboy, even if you don't want to admit it, you are. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to turn into one, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I still haven't ridden a horse yet. My whole life living in Texas, I've never been on a horse. What? Yeah, I know. You've oh, probably been on a horse and you're in Omaha. Time. I'm in Nebraska, bro. Nebraska. Come on, man. Yeah. We used to be the number one beef state. I think you guys are number one now. We're number two. Well, but we're, we're, of... we're pretty much just cornfields yeah. outside of Juan. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm probably forgetting something, you know, like they just, you know, got my hands in a lot of different things. But um, yeah, I know how it is. You know. Well, dude, so here's the thing I want to chat on. We don't have tons of time. <laughs> Um, but our audience listens and they listen for ideas. And if anyone can pull one idea off a podcast, it's worth listening to the podcast. So we thank everyone that's made it up to this point because so far a lot of this has been tech talk that a lot of typical ID agents don't want to pay attention to. But the important thing is that you do pay attention because the industry is changing and we think it's changing. We being Chris and I, and a lot of other high like-minded individuals believe it's changing faster than anyone's anticipating. And the saddest thing I see today is that the traditional brokerage model that will not support the future real estate team is not having the conversation. And if anyone has not started the conversation, they are going to be dead in the water. I, I think in the next 24 to 36 months, I think Chris, you probably agree. So I wanted to chat a little bit about open door and the story you shared with me offline, if you're willing to share online. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is a great example. This includes 1% of the other examples we could talk about of how technology will replace the traditional real estate model that we've enjoyed for the past hundred years or 80 yeah. years. Or something like yeah, that. I mean, NAR was, I think formed in 1907 or 1908. Yep. Yeah, so, so I mean, right now the traditional agent gets six percent, right? We list a house six, five, seven. I can't even say legally how much someone gets, but typically, yeah. if you look at your past sales, ours would average six percent, and you then know, we pay out half. Two years ago, I was at the Inman Connect event in Las Vegas, and Brad Inman interviewed Gary Keller on stage, 
And Gary gave his talk about the, and people in KW already know this talk. It's about the agent enabled by technology and the technology enabled agents. And so two years, you know, first off, I was like sitting front row next to Lance Loken, who's a KW guy. I'm not KW, I'm independent and I'm in Keller Williams backyard. Lance Um, is awesome, by the way, very successful. Yeah, great, great guy. But I'm sitting front row with Lance. You know, there's 5,000 people in the room. There's like hundreds of people waiting outside because they couldn't get in. Um, and, and uh, you know, it was a very heated uh, discussion between Brad and um, and Gary. And it was, I mean, you know. Was this the one where Brad kept asking Gary to sit down? Yes. And Gary yes. wouldn't sit down. And Brad said, Gary, you promised me beforehand you'd sit down. Gary said, I'm going to sit down when I want to sit down. It was hardcore, dude. It, man, it was, it was like, you could feel the intensity in the room. Like there, it was, it was kind of like one of those things you're like, eh, what's going to happen. And so, I mean, anyways, the, the, like the point is, is like Gary gave this talk about technology and how it's changing. And, you know, like two years ago was pretty early to be having that discussion, which is, you know, kudos to Gary. But he was talking about how people would not recognize the industry in the next um, couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, a lot of people didn't, um, I don't think a lot of people really believed him, to be honest. And the truth is, is like, you know, I teach this class um, in my, in the nonprofit called CEO Masterclass. And, and this I was, is free as well, right? You know, it's, there's a, you got to pay, look, it's 1500 bucks, right? Like that's, that's free. free. That's practically free. How do you sign up for that? Yeah, um, it's uh, chriswaterscoaching.com forward slash CEO. All right. Anyways, again, I don't keep any of the money. Like it all gets given away. Um, So anyways, this is the one thing I teach. I only do it twice a month and I limit it to like 10 people per class. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, uh, I I was having this discussion about how, you know, you need to make a decision. Either you're going to be an agent that becomes a partner of Open Door and Zillow um, or Redfin, or you need to go build a big team, get highly efficient, get bolt-on technology, you know, really dial in your, you know, the, the role of your buyer agent and your listing agent to where they're highly leveraged. Um, and it's more like a corporate type model and be a true CEO versus these typical teams where they just got a bunch of random agents on 50-50 splits. You yep. got to create a lot more leverage. So anyways, um, a month ago, uh, this guy that was kind of being you know, adversarial telling me like, whatever, on the tech side, didn't really believe me. He, um, he had signed up to be an open door uh, agent partner. And so he was collecting leads from open door and paying them a 35% referral fee. And one month ago, he sends me a screen share from the open door backend, like from the platform, like logging in and whatever, to accept a, um, a, a buyer consultation via Zoom with a consumer. And as he's like going through it, he's like, takes me to the part where it talks about what he's going to make on that deal if it closes. And I'm willing to bet there ain't nobody listening to this podcast right now that would guess what he was willing, what he was going to get paid by Open Door for facilities. Before you, before you share, let's let everyone think for a minute. So you're provided a teed up lead through a third party tech company. It could be Zillow, Redfin, Open Door. You've signed up. You're their person. Now they've the person, through the house. They've seen the house. Now they want to talk to a realtor. They need a licensed agent in that state. And this third-party company is going to connect you to this person that says they're ready to buy or they have a question about the the showing. They physically walked through the house without the realtor because the seller gave them permission. They went through the app. This is all actually happening today. Now how much, to everyone listening, would you think you'd be willing to pay in a referral fee? And how much do you think the average agent that you think of would be willing to pay? 
Chris. So he's so he's getting he's going to collect on that deal what would be eighteen percent of the gross revenue on a typical commission. So let's say so the eighty-two percent referral fee. So he's paying. Yes, he's paying. He's going to hypothetically pay Open Door a referral fee of eighty-two yep. percent. Now people are going to be like, "That's freaking crazy! I would never work for that cheap." But in one week, he'll do between three and five of these buyer consults. He's doing it from the comfort of his house. He's never even going and looking at the house. He's, you know, doing his research on MLS to have an educated conversation with the consumer. And but, he's a smart agent. Yeah, he's right? smart. He's a good agent. This smart a, dude, this guy is crushing it. He's an amazing yeah. agent. Yeah. Um, and so he'll do three to five of these in a week and or over the course of the month, anywhere from 15 to 20. And so, you know, the next question is, okay, well, you're only getting paid 18%. Well, how many of those, you know, call it 15 to 20 people are going to convert into a deal? Well, on average, it's in excess of 50%. Like 50% is kind of worst case scenario. So -hmm. if he does five consults in a week, he's getting paid on 50% of those. So call it. Let me do the math. What's his average sales price? Uh, It's 300K. Okay. So we'll do 300,000 times 10 closed transactions. Yep. What's the average payout? 3%? Yeah. Yep. And that's 90,000 times 0.2, Yes. And so he's making six figures. Um, Way more than two. That's a lot yeah. of figures. And 200,000 yeah. a year for just taking teed up leads. And how much did he have to spend in marketing? Zero dollars in marketing. How many showings did he have to go on? Zero, zero marketing, zero showing, zero dollars spent sitting on Zoom, using his subject matter expertise to help educate people through the process. I mean, it's kind of like legal. Dude, I'm having chills right now guys, this is the future. So I don't care. I I have said this for since Gary was saying it, I'll say it every stage I stand on. This is the future. And my belief, Chris, is that out of the 2 million agents there are today, it's so easy list house that sells in a day, there will be 10% of the current agent base standing when all the dust settles, which will be about 200,000 agents and a hundred thousand will work for big tech companies and the tech company will be the fiduciary. And then the other hundred thousand will be the teams you're talking about that have to survive on their own. And the agent will be the fiduciary, but it will change the entire landscape of the industry. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Cool story. And, you know, and people fast- get scared. You don't need to be scared of this. If yeah. you're prepared for it, this is awesome yeah. because we get to get rid of the 90% of the bad agents that give the good agents a bad rap. Yeah. I mean, I think some people might take it like, you know, trying to be dramatic or scare people, but it's like, you know, this is what's happening and it's just the reality and you need to, you need to decide which direction are you going to go? Are you going to partner in the capacity in in an agent capacity with, with one of these tech companies, or are you going to try to be a CEO, build your own business and, you know, compete with them. And I, and I do think there's an opportunity to compete with these guys. There's a great book called positioning, and, you know, it talks about how sometimes a, a you know, a, a, a competitive, sometimes your greatest weakness can also be your greatest strength, right? So like sure. the, tech, the tech companies will never have the same kind of boots on the ground as like a local real estate group, but you have to be set up right. Your organizational structure, role and responsibilities of each person within the company. Like, you know, you've got to make sure you've got the right tech in place, like your value proposition, like all these things have to be in alignment um, you know, to be able to compete with these companies, but real estate agents aren't going away. It's just, there's going to be a, a big divide um, across yeah. these two different categories. I would propose to those listening 
that it never has to be A or B. It should always be a, a variation of C. And C in my world as a broker owner is to attract other agents and or brokerages that will attach to my entity, KW Elite, powered by KW Elite, similar to what Chris is doing. I haven't expanded as much yet, but my plan is to do that. And then each team and or agent can choose what kind of agent they want to be inside of my world. So build a sandbox that allows for agents to partner with Zillow and Open Door or be indie and not attached to the third parties. Have a CRM, not have a CRM, you know, work FISBOs, work phone calls, work door knocking. It's up to each agent to define how they want to make their living. It's our job to provide all the back office solutions and support to help them make that living with and or without these two different models. So I think we can win in all in all categories. We just have to have a plan. Yeah. And and I know we're speaking a lot about open door, but in other company that's fascinating is Redfin. Like two, I think it was two years ago, Redfin launched a feature on their app where the consumer could make an offer without an agent. And, you know, like I was very skeptical and I like went through the experience of it. They launched it in Boston mm-hmm. and it was super successful there, by the way. And now it's launched in like over a dozen different markets. Mm-hmm. But essentially what Redfin did is they took the standardized contracts and they took all the data fields that you typically type in on a contract as an agent, and they created a series of form fields. So for example, like, you know, how much do you want to offer on this house? Gives you a couple different options, right? And the next question, like, you know, how much, um, right. how much are you putting down as a down payment? By the way, have you been connected to a lender? If not, right, like, of course, here's who we uh, use. The purchase agreement just became the fill, the fill form on the website to make your yes, offer. Yes. Yeah. It's just, it's a series of form fields that you type in and fill up and it's, it's not rocket science, but also their process is very intuitive. Now, you know, the thing is, is like, we all know what's going to happen is if, if the contract gets accepted after Redfin sends it to the listing agent, if it gets accepted, which probably not like what happens once the deal gets executed? Well, now the consumer has to figure out mortgage title, a homeowner's insurance, um, you know, dealing with appraiser, inspector, all these people. Mm-hmm. And we all know there's no way they're going to be able to handle all that. Like maybe if it's a savvy investor, but 90 plus percent of, of consumers will not. So right. ultimately what Redfin has created is like the ultimate mousetrap to get consumers that are really far along the customer journey, meaning Redfin has eliminated the really like most painful part of being an agent, which is the lead follow-up process from when you originate the lead to actually meeting them face-to-face. They've eliminated it all. They don't have to prospect leads. Like they, they have given the consumer all the power and then the Redfin agent doesn't talk to them until they get stuck, which is, you know, at contract execution. I mean, that's, you yep. know, Red, I mean, this is, these are just two examples. Redfin yep. and there's, you know, it's, in, it's interesting you bring up Redfin, um, the broker in Omaha, Dakota, who's a great guy, hit me up literally like three weeks ago and asked for a lunch just to meet and to talk. And we're both brokers and wanted to just kind of ideate on what's going on in the market in Omaha and nationally. And I said, you know, Dakota, instead of just coming to the office or grabbing a coffee or whatever, why don't we have you come speak to all of my agents? And I average about 100 agents at our broker meetings. And he said, what do you mean? And I was like, I want you to come tell all my agents about the opportunities at Redfin. He's like, wow, that's a first in my entire life that I've ever had a competitor, which I never looked at other people as competition. We are our worst or greatest competition, I should say, our worst enemy. So he came to my office and spoke to 100 agents. We have it on, we record all of our sessions, so it's recorded as well. And he talked all about Redfin and the opportunities at Redfin and what they're doing and their proprietary technology and the direction that they're going. And it's an amazing company. It's the future. That model is the future. And so people in my office said, Jeff, how are you going to pivot to survive against the Redfins of the world? And I said, simple, 
We'll create a Redfin. We'll create an open door. We'll create a Zillow. We can do all of that. We can have teams that do the exact same thing. We can have technology that does the exact same thing. You don't have to join them to beat them. You can just create exactly what they've created. Yep. Yep. It's, you know, but you, you know, you got to be in a position, right. To be able to pull that off. Not very many people can execute on that, but um, yeah, there's a lot in the totality, in the totality of it. Yeah. But it's like when iBuyer came along and everyone would say, oh, iBuyer, it's going to change the world. And of course, we saw what happened when the pandemic hit and everyone backed out of that. I know they're all coming back in now. I don't need to be iBuyer across the entire country. What I need to do empower my agents with was the ability to say to a seller, hey, we can do the same thing. And I backed that with my investment company. And every offer was simple when my client agents said, well, what do we offer? 30% below market value. We make a cash offer to every seller right now if the pro- for 30% below market value. It's the guaranteed sales program yeah. that people have been doing for 10 years. I was never part of that, but I know I think Tim was for a while. You were part of that for a while, weren't you? Yep, yep. Um, and so, I mean, ultimately, like for us, you know, we're, we're competing every day with Open Door and OfferPad and these other others in Austin. And so, you know, when we go on a listing appointment, we are um, asking the consumer, do you want maximum convenience or maximum equity for your home? And um, if they want maximum convenience, we'll aggregate all of the offers from the iBuyers and present them to the consumer and let them know what they would net. Um, And then, you know, there's there's a buy box for each of these iBuyers. And so, you know, each iBuyer charged a different service fee. They range between, believe it or not, they go as low as 5% and then go as high as 14. And then um, if they're not in the buy box, same deal as you, um, you know, I've got an internal, you know, home buying right. entity. Um, our convenience fee is really high because we're buying the really distressed houses that are higher risk compared to what a Zillow or OfferPad or yep. um, uh, OpenDoor would buy. And so we kind of, you know, fulfill a need that they can't. Um, you know, I will, you know, what's interesting though, is, um, you know, the ultimate goal of the iBuyer is to drive the convenience fee to being less than the realtor fee. Right. And then, um, ultimately these companies have created liquidity for, uh, for consumers and, and people are wondering like, well, how do they make money They're, You know, they're going to make money on the back end through all the affiliates of the company. Like a lot of people don't know lenders, for example, on a government backed loan, make five to 7% of the gross loan amount. Um, so there's a lot of people involved in the transaction, you know, uh, Zillow's, the Redfin's, the Open Doors, they all have their own title companies, their own mortgage companies. Insurance so companies. Yeah, they're making all their money on the back end. And um, the, the acquisition is the lost leader. And then, you know, you 100%. hear people make this argument of like, oh, well, when the market flips or whatever, like, you know, in a time of crisis, yes, they're going to stop buying. Um, but that once that crisis is over, you know, like the onset of the crisis, they start buying again. So for example, during COVID, they stopped buying in March, they restarted buying in May, it was a two month time period, right? And, you know, their algorithms and the machine learning they have in place, it sets up their offer so that it's, um, you know, in direct correlation to what the absorption rate is in the neighborhood. So as the market gets weaker, and you know, for example, the supply goes from like a month to like six months, they mm-hmm. have to charge a higher convenience fee of to make course. up. So, um, you know, the, the challenge will be in the, in these time periods when people don't have equity in their house because values have dropped and the convenience fee exceeds the equity. You know, that's a situation where 
Um, right. you could, it could create a, a challenge for the eye buyers to, to, to have the volume, but Hey, it'll create a challenge for us as agents too. Everyone will challenge. Yeah. Dude, it's interesting. You bring up the ancillaries. Uh, that's a big, that's been a big talking point for me and I'm building up some massive ancillary businesses that can scale nationally and are, are already scaling nationally in mortgage and insurance, digital marketing and investing. And I was just on stage last week at Boomtown Unite. I had about 175 people in the audience and I was talking about the future real estate team. And I said that I believe, and I say this today on the podcast, I believe that the real estate brokers of the future will not charge the agent to hang their license with them. And I know there's already some brokerages doing this. So the capping model that we're used to in Keller, as an example, or the 10% or 20% per, uh, company dollar that any traditional real estate brokerage would keep, I think that will go away to some to a, bit, a major extent. There will still be a little bit of a fee. But I believe that the brokerages will survive from the ancillary. That is what will save people that own real estate companies. Um, it'll be in the mortgage to your point, five to 7%. I own a mortgage company. We're not even corresponding yet. And we average 2.6 to 3%. Um, insurance is a huge play, a long-term play of residual wealth. Investing, of course, we just talked about how often do agents pass on deals that they could have bought themselves fully funded through third-party companies and they're just passing on it because they're not thinking about it. And then digital marketing services like... People will always want drone flyovers and 3D imagery, 6D imagery, which we're getting into now. And there's other services like that. So I don't think a lot of people are thinking about it. I know a lot of traditional brokers, especially inside of Keller Williams, aren't doing this. Gary's doing it. So if you see Gary doing it with 190,000 agents, why wouldn't you yourself choose to do it? It's kind of interesting. Zillow's doing it. Redfin's doing it. Yeah. So there's a lot of people that still shy away and say, oh, it's not legal. It's definitely legal. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the, the delicate balance is like, you want to make sure you have economies of scale before you go into an ancillary business. And you, you got to make sure it's not a distraction. Like, you know, you and I met um, with Tim Heil, right during, I think, Keller Williams family reunion. I wasn't with KW. Tim just said, Hey, let's grab lunch with this guy named Jeff or sorry, dinner. And um, uh, Tim and I started a title company four years ago. Uh, Geez, six, oh my God, seven years ago. Holy Jeez, seven years ago. And so like Tim and I's business was like, you know, we were, you know, the top teams and, you know, it was always me or Tim, one or two on stage. And, um, you know, the the thing we learned through that um, experience was, you know, the title thing ended up being a huge distraction for us. Like it took away our time from our own core business. Um, So I think, you know, for people watching, depending on where you are, in the stage of your growth as a business, you got to be careful not to get distracted. You want to make sure you have economies of scale and you got to do it for title. You guys had enough transactions for it. The reason that yours failed and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but this is a great ideation for those listening was because you and you and Tim chose to take more of an active role than you should have. There's not a business I own where I have an active role. There's yeah. always a CEO, COO, CFO. There's always a title entity that already existed, a mortgage company that already existed, an insurance company that already existed. And then I partnered with them strategically. Yeah. So I, you know, I wouldn't call mint title um, a failure. Tim and I ended up selling it for 10 times our net income. Um, so we sold for a couple million bucks. And so it ended up being like a positive investment for us. But to your point, like, you know, um, one of the struggles was we were too involved. We were very active right. in the, in the beginning. And, um, and then we also did eventually hire leadership to run the business. Um, but you know, it's just, you know, I think the thing probably over the last six to seven years, the thing I've learned, um, 
is, you know, just how important it is to select the right leaders to be in your organization. And we didn't have the right leaders. And so that was kind of, you know, just as like business owners for Tim and I, that was kind of like a learning lesson that time period for us sure. around like the selection process of getting the right leadership in place. Cause we, we thought we hired leaders, but they weren't the right ones. Yeah. It was funny when this whole thing started, we went to a mastermind uh, in San Diego, Tim and I met first there and it was put on by viral marketing, uh, Frank yep. Clezitz, a friend of ours. Mm -hmm. And I said to Tim, I said, some, I don't know why it came up, but I had an idea that I said, it's a Range Rover a year that you're losing out on essentially the amount of money that could buy you a Range Rover a year. And he's like, what is it? And so of course I shared with him what I was doing. And it was a, at the time it was a closing company. It wasn't even a title company. We were just doing the escrow closing in Nebraska and I was making about a hundred thousand dollars net. And all we were doing, the buyer was selecting our title company on the purchase agreement. And I made an extra hundred thousand dollars a year. And of course that turned into you guys doing a title company. Um, and I, I think about the same time started my own title company in 2015, mm -hmm. but anything I've done, and this is actually something I took from Gary Keller. Um, when he taught, I would, the time I, I met with you, Chris, I was in Austin for Gary Keller's two day class about the one thing. And Gary wasn't supposed to teach it. I don't know why, but he ended up coming and doing the entire two day course all on the one thing for entrepreneurs in the Austin area. And the biggest takeaway I got from that, that class was he said, his time 20 years ago, his time today, his time 20 years from now is looking at talent, looking for talent. And once you find someone that's talent, asking yourself, where does that person best fit? The problem is we think, oh, I need to start a title company. And so now who's going to be the best fit for the title company? You can do it in a reverse where you find talent and then ask, where does that, where would that person fit? And so you make a great warning call to anyone listening. When you do choose to get into ancillary, be sure you have the right person. You should not be involved at all. Honestly, an agent getting involved, if it's not your industry, it's going to cause more problems than anything. So think of yourself for most people listening, think of yourselves as the marketing arm whose job is to bring the deals and allow the title people, the mortgage people, the insurance people, et cetera, to run the companies. Yep. And, and I think the other aha we had through that experience was, again, it's all a function of like how big your business is. But um, what we should have done in hindsight was partner with an established operator and set up a joint venture where we owned a equity stake in the business. And yes, we're the marketing engine, you know, maybe we oversee some other component, if you will. And then um, they facilitate the backend infrastructure and everything required yep. to execute so the, the JV route, I think, is definitely the better route to go. Now, once you get at the scale of like KW, Zillow, Redfin, like wow, obviously it makes sense to go like right. hire, you know, a CEO and like start to stand up. Um, but, you know, if you're doing so how you see how you just so people know to how to structure, we'll stay on title because that's the topic we were in. But the way I structured was exactly what you just said. Me and another partner, we needed 500 buy sides for economies of scale, 500 closed buy sides. So me and the top agent in my market partnered to create platinum title and escrow. Uh, we were doing over 500 buy sides a year, which equates to about a hundred and or $240,000 of net profit. Um, we went to an already existing, well-established title company that does 8,000 deals a year. And we negotiated a very large percentage that he and I would own together. And then they would be the operators and run it. And yeah. we knew eventually if things were going well, we would just buy out their position, which we did successfully a year ago. And so now he and I and our CEO own the title company together. But we're doing now like 2,000 sides a year and we're now partnering with other big teams that are like what we were five years ago to create expansion arms for them off of our title company. It's been pretty awesome. Yep. That's the way to do it right there. So dude, we've gotten into all sorts of stuff. I hope whoever's still here with us right now, I hope your head is spinning. I hope we've brought some new ideas to you guys. Chris, um, for anyone that wants to give you a shout out, what's the best way to get into your world? 
Man, I'd say, um, man, I, I uh, have been trying really hard to keep social media off my cell phone because uh, it's such a big distraction. Um, but I would say the best way to reach me is probably Facebook Messenger. Okay. Um, I have I have Instagram um, and Facebook. Like I don't have them on my cell phone, um, but Facebook Messenger, ping me on there. You can also send me a DM on Instagram. My team runs both of those. Right. forward the message to me but um that's probably the best way just hit me up on social via facebook cool. or um instagram cool and i never say this but um i'm at my five thousand friends on facebook but if you want to get into my world follow me on instagram at jeff m cone that's c-o-h-n um anything related to our coaching organization you just go to grow with com. we host monthly events uh, both virtually and in person we have a virtual one coming up actually the end of july and our next in person is in september in omaha nebraska in our ten thousand high 10,000 square foot hybrid tech powered office of the future. So would love for anyone that's interested in checking out that workshop to come check us out. Give Chris a shout out on iTunes. That's where we go to get reviews, which helps get the podcast ranking higher so more people can find it. Give us a five star, give Chris a shout out and your biggest takeaway that you got from today. That would mean a lot for those that listen to this all the time and still haven't gone out and given us a review. Today's the day. Take a second. All you do is pick the podcast. You scroll down a little bit. People never can find it. You have to scroll down. I don't know why they hide it like eight rows down but when you scroll down you'll see the stars and give us a five star and a review chris waters dude this was super fun i appreciate you coming on and being willing to share with us what you think and i'm in alignment and i don't look for people that agree i actually like to disagree with people so we are aligned on a lot of things and it'll be fun to watch this thing play out i definitely think the next two years will be wild they will be excited to do it with you brother and we'll have you back on soon sounds good man jeff have a great day all right you too see you bud